0: Would you please open your Bibles to Psalm 16? Psalm 16. So it's kind of becoming an annual tradition where we end the year with a reflection from a psalm. This is third year running. And uh, even as you turn there, I just want to say what a joy and delight it is to sing together with you all. And to look around the room and to know of God's faithfulness. In so many of your lives, through trials and difficulties, through sufferings and sorrows, our Lord is faithful. And you, dear brothers and sisters, have been found faithful in the midst of those sorrows by His grace. I give thanks for you. I count it such a joy and privilege to be one of your pastors and to walk with you. Psalm 16, if you will pray with me one more time. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you needy and hungry. One more time this year, speak to us, Lord, through your word. Show us yourself. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that understands. Cause us to behold your glory and to find our greatest joy and deepest treasure in knowing you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've come to that time in the year again, if it wasn't obvious already. This is the day or the week and that season where you look at everything that went back behind, look at everything gone by. You think about everything that's coming up, And somehow, I don't know why this is the case, but every year, somehow, our hearts get filled with this hope that we can hit reset. That things will get better for us, somehow. That we will get better, just because the date changed on the calendar. You know, I saw this uh, comic strip uh, of these two kind of humanoid creatures and one of them is lying down and eating chips and uh, he says, I'm going to improve and make myself a better being and then the other guy asks him, when? and he says, in a few days and then the other guy says, do you mean on the day that we traditionally make ourselves better? and he says, yes, that day we think that one more revolution around the sun means some kind of magical change is going to happen and things will get better. And when I think about 2023. For our church, I know it's been a year of many joys. We've seen the Lord's hand, we've seen the Lord's grace. But it's also been a year of challenges and heartbreak and tears. And not just for us as a church, I I know that's the case for many of you individually in your lives, in your families. Some of you have had great joys this past year. You've seen great strides and accomplishment in your own lives. Some of you have experienced great growth in your lives. Some of you have experienced great loss. Deep grief. Trials of various kinds. Some of you have been through great seasons of change this past year. And I don't know what 2024 holds. I have no idea what's coming. Neither do you. But I do know what will carry you through this coming year. And not just through this coming year, but I know what will carry you through all of life and even through death. What will carry you, or rather I should say, the one who will carry you through trials and tears, through challenges and changes, through ups and downs, through joys and sorrows, through life and death, is our God, the living God in Jesus Christ. Without a clear vision of who He is, without a confident trust in His goodness, without a deep contentment in Him, we will be filled with guilty fears, insecure hearts, hopeless prayers, and empty praise. No, He must be our refuge and our delight. He must be our portion and our guide and in him alone is our deepest joy and true everlasting life. And that's what David is going to show us in our psalm today. That's what we're going to see in Psalm 16. So if you look at the text as I read, Psalm 16. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Beloved, as we look at this psalm together, I pray that your hearts will be filled with a deep contentment in God's goodness and a strong confidence in his sure promises. Now as we think with David and learn to feel what he feels in this psalm, I pray that you would find abiding joy all year round, no matter what circumstances 2024 brings your way. And so we're on this quest with David for deep abiding joy. And to find this abiding joy, we're going to look at five pursuits in the text. Five pursuits by which David is helping us seek joy in God. First, we seek comfort in God's protection. We seek comfort in God's protection. Look again there at verse 1. A mictam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So he begins this psalm with a prayer. Crying out to God, saying, Lord, preserve me, protect me. That's a great prayer for the new year, by the way. to, To call upon God and say, Lord, in 2024, preserve me. And clearly the author of the psalm, he tells us there, is David. David wrote this song, this prayer. And if you think about David's life, all through his life, he faced many trials. He was often fleeing, running. He was facing at times the possibility of dying imminently. And in the midst of all of that, we don't know when this particular psalm was written, but it's clear David had learned to cry out to God and say, preserve me. Notice why he's calling out to God and saying, preserve me, protect me. Because, for, in you I take refuge. Because God has proven himself to be a refuge for David. David knows he can find refuge in the Lord. And that term there for refuge is a beautiful term. It's used often of different kind of situations. Like a bird finding shelter. Like the safety of a shield in war. Like refuge in a cave that keeps you safe. In crisis, whether good times or bad times, the Lord is our shelter. He is our shield he is our refuge, our protector, our security. And so we can cry out to Him, preserve us, protect us. You know, all of us crave this. We have this inner impulse for security, for safety. We want to be safe. We want to put some kind of a hedge around our lives and be secure And we often go running to different things, don't we, to cure our restlessness and anxiety. For some of us, it's our savings accounts or having a good investment portfolio. I just bought life insurance this year. For others, it's our jobs, our careers. For many of us, no doubt, especially given some of the nations we come from, we feel a sense of safety and security in living in the Emirates. I'm in a nice place, a safe place. And yet, friends, all those things are so fleeting and uncertain, aren't they? Maybe for some of you, you don't find a sense of safety and security. You find yourself constantly restless, constantly anxious and troubled, weighed down, disturbed. Struggling to sleep at night. Checking your iPhone again and again. It's a sign of anxiety. Well, David shows us here where we can find safety, security, the cure for our restlessness. It's in the Lord alone. He is our refuge, our sanctuary. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good. Apart from you. Apart from you, Lord, I'm nothing. And if you notice that verse, the first time that Lord appears there, it's all capitals. That's the personal name of God revealed in the Old Testament. Yahweh. I will say to Yahweh. And then the second time, it's not all capitalized. You are my Lord. Second time it means Master. I submit my life to your Lordship. There is nowhere else I can go. There is no one else I can go to. And my security and my safety comes from acknowledging, from submitting to your sovereign lordship in my life. I know that you are a good master, a gracious master, a benevolent master. And so, O master and lord, I say, you are my lord. Where else can I go? I have nothing good apart from you. David's security is in the goodness of God In the refuge that God is. He is such a gracious and wonderful master. That we can entrust ourselves to him. Then we can submit ourselves and all our days to him. And of course. Submission to his lordship. Running to his protection. Finding him as our good, as our delight. Means that we also find delight and a home and a refuge among his people. And Sometimes people ask me at ECC, why do you talk so much about the church all the time? Every other sermon, church, church, church. Well, brothers and sisters in the scriptures, God and his people are closely bound together. They are virtually inseparable. God so closely identifies with His people that you're talking about one and soon you slip into talking about the other. That's what David does. He's talking about God and then very next verse, he slips to talking about God's people. No sooner do you find yourself trusting in God than you will find yourself delighting in God's people. Look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. As we flee to God for refuge, we realize that among His people in the church, we find a place of safety, a place of solace, a place of comfort, of refuge, of joy and delight. The Lord is our refuge and our joy. We submit to His Lordship and protection by delighting ourselves in His people. And as we look around, just look around the room at the lives of these excellent ones. He's talking about you. You are the excellent ones, all who have trusted in Christ. These are the saints of God. And as we get to know each other and behold Christ in each other's lives, we find joy and delight in even the hardest circumstances. So I want to encourage you You know, a lot of people think of the New Year, this is a time to improve. This is a time to instill new habits, new patterns of life. I want to make, some people want to make New Year's resolutions. Here's one thing I encourage you to do. I found it to be of such great delight, joy, and help in my own life. Pick up a membership directory. Keep it with your Bible at all times. And seek to regularly pray by name through that membership directory. Dear member of ECC. And seek to know others. You know, each month say, I want to get to know someone I haven't known. I'm going to look for them in the courtyard. I'm going to send them a WhatsApp. I'm going to say with David, as for the saints who are in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I'm going to really get involved in people's lives and let them get involved in mine. And then I will find delight and joy and comfort in God's people and in the Lord. What is the alternative to finding our refuge in God and His people? Well, David gives us here the alternative. He shows us a contrast in verse 4. He gives us a contrast between his experience of safety in God and His people with the experience of those who run after other gods. Did you see verse 4? The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. That's a, a very significant and amazing description of false religion and godless living. It's filled with sorrow. The lives of those who don't know Christ, even if they seem jubilant by external appearance, their lives are filled with untold sorrow. Think of your own life before you knew the Lord. Think of how sorrow constantly multiplied. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, ever-increasing sorrow. David wants nothing to do with that kind of worship or life. His security is in the one true God alone. You see, in the ancient world, as it is in the modern world, when people were craving security some, kind of security, some kind of safety, protection, they ran after gods. Our world doesn't find it in gods of wood and stone, finds it in gods of career and success and money and ambition. Make no mistake, going after false gods, pursuing after idols brings sorrow, multiplies sorrow, multiplies anxiety, emotional pain, and ultimately leads to destruction. David wants nothing to do with that kind of worship. I will not pour out their sacrificial offerings. I will not even take their name upon my lips. I refuse to be associated with them. And brothers and sisters, we've got to beware in this. See, David is speaking not just of gods of false religions, Idols made of gold, wood, and stone. The biblical definition of a false god is more than that. It's any belief or love that draws my heart away from the living God and His truth. Anything that you are relying upon more than relying upon the one true God in Jesus Christ has become to you a false god. As the early church historian Tertullian said, all sins are found in idolatry and idolatry is found in all sins. The time of the Reformation, one theologian said, the human heart is an idol factory. Our hearts are constantly finding things, inventing ways to drift from God and His rule over our lives. And so I want to ask you as you end this year and enter 2024, where have you put your trust? Where have you found your refuge? Where are you looking for comfort and security? You know what I'm talking about? What's that one thing that you're depending upon, that you're giving your life to, the thing that you think will make your life happy and solve your problems and give you safety? Friends, if your refuge is in anything other than the Lord, be sure it will lead to sorrow. Instead, Resolve in response to God's word today to flee to him, to find in him your refuge, to find your joy in him and among his people in the church. He is the sovereign Lord who keeps watch over our lives. There is no good apart from him and anything good in our lives is from him. That leads to our second pursuit in this text. As we are on this quest for deep, abiding joy, abundant joy in the Lord, not only are we comforted by His protection, but second, we find contentment in God's providence. We find contentment in God's providence. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have. A beautiful inheritance. David is thinking about his inheritance. In one sense, it was an earthly inheritance, right? In the old covenant, uh, their land, their inheritance was apportioned. It was given to them by lot. So they recognized that this is totally in the sovereign care of God and in the hand of God's providence. And what David is saying is, God's providence in my life is perfect. He is a sovereign master, a loving father, and I trust him. He holds my lot. My inheritance is beautiful to me because he fulfills his plan perfectly. I can trust God and therefore find contentment in him. The uh, Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs wrote this very good and helpful book. I think there are copies in the bookstore. That'll be a great book for you to read this year. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And one of the principles that Jeremiah Burroughs gives is this, listen. A godly heart enjoys much of God in everything he has, and knows how to make up all wants in God himself. A godly heart enjoys much of God and everything he has and knows how to make up all wants in God himself. Do you want to fight the disease of discontentment and dissatisfaction in your life? Do you want to go through the year feeling happy and content? Then begin to recognize that all of your life has been ordained by God himself, by your gracious God. Recognize that he is Your sovereign Lord, and not only is He your sovereign Lord, He is also our loving, gracious, good Father in Christ. He is our lot and portion. Did did you notice the text there? He says, You are my cup. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. What does that mean? Obviously, God is not a cup, literally. He's using a Hebrew metaphor, and in the Hebrew language and thought world, the cup represents someone's destiny, someone's portion in life. And he's saying, My life, all that I am, everything that happens, is from the Lord. The Lord is my destiny. And that's how we find contentment, dear friends. Contentment is not found in what we have, but in who we have. And when we recognize that, we will find ourselves overflowing with joy. When we recognize who we have, that leads to contentment in what He gives us. We begin to see all that He gives us as beautiful. We recognize that He has given us Himself. He has given us His Son. He has given us Christ in Jesus we have a heavenly inheritance that no one can touch every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ and no one and nothing can take it away. We have an, an eternal inheritance. Moreover, He is our inheritance. He is our portion. He is our destiny. And so in our pursuit of joy we are comforted by God's protection. We are content in his providence but God doesn't just bless us with an inheritance he also helps us by his instruction and that's our third pursuit here we find comfort in his protection, contentment in his providence and third, we are counseled by his precepts, we are counseled by his precepts, verse 7 I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, in the night also my heart instructs me Not only does the Lord graciously provide an inheritance, He also graciously gives us His instruction. What David is reminding us here is that the Lord provides us with guidance for every circumstance and situation that we find ourselves in as His children. He doesn't just leave us to walk through life saying, Go figure it out. No, he instructs us. And David here is praising God for his instruction. He's praising God for his instruction and guidance. Did you notice that? The psalm began with a prayer, Preserve me, O God, for in you is my refuge. And now he moves from prayer to praise. I will bless the Lord. I bless the Lord. I praise the Lord who gives me counsel. He is our wonderful counselor. How does God provide us his instruction and counsel? And Sometimes we get this mistaken idea that some feeling that we have is instruction from God. That's not what the psalmist says. That's not what David says. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, God gives us instruction. He gives us his precepts, his counsel, by speaking to us through his word. Right? You just need to keep reading the psalms. Go to Psalm 119. The psalmist says, verse 24, your testimonies, this your word, your precepts, are my counselors. As we are filled up with God's word, as we grow in our knowledge and a true understanding of scripture, as scripture goes into our hearts and minds, God provides us with instruction. He gives us counsel for all of life. Did you notice the second half of the verse there? In the night also my heart instructs me. Again, this can be misunderstood. You might say, oh, I just need to follow my heart. That's not what David is saying. Don't follow your heart. Your heart will deceive you. Uh, What he's saying here must be read in light of the first half of the verse. The Lord gives me counsel. My heart instructs me. And by the way, in the, the Hebrew language here, the word heart there, that's translated heart for you, in the original is my kidneys. My kidneys instruct me. And and, and to speak of the kidneys in the Hebrew mind was to speak of the deepest, innermost depths of your being. In other words, what David is saying is, he's saying that he has internalized and meditated upon God's word. He has taken it all deep within until it is a part of his innermost being, his heart and mind. The depths of his soul are filled with the word of God. And therefore, in in God's word, he finds instruction day and night. Do you want that to be your experience? Don't you want to pursue that, dear friends? Don't you want to enter this year saying, I want to know more of God. I want to know more of his instruction. I want to know more of his word. Give yourself to the reading of God's word, to the study of God's word, to the preaching of God's word in the local church. Put yourself under good teachers. Take every opportunity you can. Say, I'm going to do whatever I can this year to fill my heart and mind with the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within me. And my heart will instruct me. The Lord will give me counsel as he speaks to me through scripture. And do you see, this is kind of in the center of the five. It, It is really the key to what comes before and even what comes after. It's, it's by receiving God's instruction and His counsel through His Word that we learn to run to Him for protection. In difficult circumstances, God, God's Word tells us, find your refuge in God. It's in receiving God's instruction from His Word that we learn contentment. We learn of God's sovereign providence and care over our lives. We begin to trust Him more and we grow in contentment. And as we receive God's instruction, as it goes deep, deep down into the depths of our hearts, we grow increasingly confident in His promises to us. That's our fourth pursuit in our quest for joy in the Lord. We must grow confident in God's promises. We seek comfort in His protection, contentment in His providence, counsel, by His precepts... and we must grow confident in His promises... look at verse 8... I have set the Lord always before me... because He is at my right hand... I shall not be shaken... the psalm began with a prayer... preserve me O Lord... he moved to praise... I bless the Lord... and now he makes a proclamation... I shall not be shaken... in all trials and circumstances in the ups and downs and uncertainties of life, David makes this confident declaration, I shall not be shaken. Because he has confidence in God's promise. In the promise of God's presence with him. Look at how David feels about this. Look at the next verse. He says, Therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I feel completely at peace, overflowing with joy and confidence. Why? Because of where his eyes are fixed. I have set the Lord always before me. He's fixing his eyes not on his circumstances, not on what's happening around him. He's fixing his eyes on God. And therefore his being is secure. He will not be shaken because of the presence of the Lord that he has fixed his eyes upon. My dear brothers and sisters, you want to walk through the next year unshaken? Do you want to be able to sleep well at night? Do you want to walk through life with a joy that permeates your entire being so that you can say, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices? That kind of joy, that kind of confidence, it doesn't come based on your circumstances, what happens or doesn't happen. It depends on where your eyes are fixed. That we set the Lord always before us. That we fix our eyes on the one who is our unfailing protector, our sovereign master, our gracious provider, our wonderful counselor. And the promise of his presence will sustain you and me. But his promise, his promises are not just for life. On this earth, dear friends. No, his promises extend beyond this life. David knew this. Obviously, the Lord who has established a covenant relationship with him, this Lord is not going to just protect him, provide for him, counsel him and guide him through all of life, be with him through all of life, only to leave him at death. No way. No, God has promised life in his presence beyond death. Did you see verse 10? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's the realm of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. I hope you recognize the magnificent weight of that promise. Because death is so certain, isn't it? It's kind of funny how our brains are wired. It's a mystery. Somehow, we come to the end of each year, and as the calendar flips, one number on the calendar changes, we somehow get excited. And we begin to get our hopes up. Oh, Happy New Year! It's going to be better for me, it's going to be better for you. When actually we should be reminded that time is passing. We're getting older. We're running out of time. And the passing of time, dear friends, should sober us. Should remind us of our mortality. It should remind us that we are one year closer To the end of life in this world that this could be the year of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ or your own certain death and if it is not you are one year closer to that reality none of us is promised another year in fact 2023 could be your last None of us is promised another day. You know, the French philosopher Blaise Pascal, he thought about and talked about death often. And he gives this pretty gruesome image. He says, imagine a number of men all in chains, all in chains. And each hour some of them are slaughtered. And as some of them are put to death and killed, the rest of them in chains are filled with grief and pain because they are reminded that they are next, that it's coming for them too. And Pascal says this is an image of the human condition. Matt McAuliffe in his excellent book, Remember Death, which I commend to you to read, he talks about what Pascal said and he says, just imagine that you are in a lineup of people to be killed by firing squad. And you hear the captain call, ready, aim, fire. You hear the shots. You hear the thud as another body falls to the ground. And with each passing minute, that sound gets louder. Because you're next. It's closer. And and you might listen to all of that and say, oh, that's just such a morbid and gruesome way to think about life. But friends, that's reality, isn't it? That's fact. We try to hide from it. We try to run from it. We try to busy ourselves with the trivial things of life. Be happy and lighthearted. And push this certainty, this reality, to the periphery of our mind. We don't like to think about it. It makes us uncomfortable. As we sang, "He will hold me fast," my mind went back to New Year's Eve, 2019, four years ago. We sang, "He will hold me fast," and I remember our dear beloved brother Mark Sellers standing behind me and singing. And the Lord called him home about a month later. Now, as we come to the end of each year, one good and helpful exercise for our souls is to look back at the past year and think of all of those who were with us who are now not. To think about people that you knew, that you knew, who are now gone. Death is a grim reality and it is certain. And where do we find confidence in the face of Death. It's in Christ who is our only hope in life and death. It's in the God who preserves us and promises life beyond death. The God to whom we can cry out, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol with David. We can say that. And yet, yet you see the, the fullness of what David is saying in this psalm That that wasn't fulfilled in his experience, was it? David died like every other human being. David was buried. David's body decayed in the grave. It's the same for all of us. We will go through death and decay. That's our fate. Because we are sinners by nature and by choice. Just like David was. We come into this world under the pronouncement of the curse. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We know that we are sinners by nature and by choice. And we know that the wages of sin is death. Three years ago, as I watched my father die, as I stood at his grave, those words were so real to me. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die The wages of sin is death. And David, who wrote this psalm, just like you and me, he also was a sinner under the curse of death. So where does he find this confidence? How would this promise be fulfilled? Well, the way that it is fulfilled is because David knew that he was speaking of someone greater. David is speaking of the greater king who would come from his line, the one who is David's son and David's Lord, the one who from all eternity was God's own son. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, was born in the line of David, who perfectly fulfills this psalm. You know that the Apostle Peter quoted from this very psalm in his speech on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verses 25 and following he says, David says concerning him, the hymn there is Jesus. David says concerning him, and then we see from Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Notice how Peter interprets this for us. Notice how Peter exposits the text. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses this psalm was fulfilled because Jesus rose from the dead And from start to finish, this text is perfectly fulfilled in his life. Jesus is the one who truly sought refuge in God. Through all of the sorrows and sufferings of his life, he cried out to God, preserve me, O God, in you is my refuge. Jesus is the one who perfectly entrusted himself to God, saying, you are my master, I have no good apart from you. Jesus is the one who perfectly delights in the saints of God, in the people of God. He gave himself for them. He gave himself for us, saying, these are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Jesus is the one who never ran after other gods. He is the one who was perfectly content in God. Jesus is the one who said to his father, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel, who set his father always before him. God's word and God's ways, always in His life. Then why did He die? The answer is that Jesus died for us, for our sins. None of us deserves resurrection. None of us deserves the life that this psalm promises. We deserve the curse of death for our sin against a good, gracious, and holy God. But Jesus came stood in our place as our representative, as our substitute, took upon himself the curse of death that you and I deserve for our sin, took upon himself the wrath of God as he bled on the cross and died, perfectly paying for our sin. He cried out, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 5, with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard. Because of his reverence, God did not abandon him to death nor leave his body to decay. No, God raised him from the dead three days later, bursting forth with life. He has defeated death. He has overcome the grave. And now he promises eternal life, joy, the forgiveness of sins and peace to all who will flee to him for refuge. So hearing these words this morning, dear friend, if you're here, if you don't know Christ, would you flee to him? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Preserve me, O Lord. In you do I put my trust. You see, his resurrection is the promise of our resurrection for all who trust him. Because he rose, we can confidently look forward to the day when he will raise us and we will be with him forever. And that will be beautiful and glorious. But you know what? It's not just that our resurrection leads to eternal life that is so glorious. You could say, like Freddie Mercury said, who wants to live forever? No, the resurrection is glorious and joyful because of whom we will be with. Because we will find eternal joy and pleasure in God's presence forever. That's where this psalm ends. That's the final pursuit. That's the end of it all, that, that we come to the end to see God's glorious face forever, comforted by His protection, content in His providence, counseled by His precepts, confident in His promises. But the final pursuit, the one that ends it all, is that we would be captivated by His presence. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What makes heaven and the resurrection beautiful, joyful, pleasurable is not just that we live forever, it's whose presence we're going to be living in. The God who is our great joy The supreme source of life and joy and pleasure will be ours forever. Nothing on earth compares to Him. Nothing in life can satisfy like Him. And so, unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, He lives. Christ, He lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him. Then we shall rise To meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we shall feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. May we find our greatest delight and joy in Him this year and always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great treasure that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. May He be our sovereign Lord and our supreme treasure in life and in death, this year and always. In Jesus' name, amen.